Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. This is Lou Moore, President of the Washington Research Council. I'm here with Chris Schobloom, who's our Vice President for Research, as well as Emily Makings, who is our Senior Research Analyst. And the primary purpose we're here today is to discuss the policy brief that Emily was staff lead on that is a review of Governor Inslee's proposed 2015 to 2017 operating budget. So as we get started here, Emily, why don't you explain a little bit about how these budgets work? I mean, there's a, my understanding is there's, there's a statutory requirement the governor has to show that he can balance a budget. But then there's also his aspirations, kind of an aspirational budget. So can you talk about that a little bit? Right. The governor is required by state law to produce a budget that is balanced within existing revenues. And this is called the Book One budget. Um, so he has done that. And he has also um, proposed, a, as you say, an aspirational budget, which is called the Book Two budget. And he uses new revenues to, um, to, make, it work, to make it work out, to pencil out. Um, the book one proposal would increase uh, state, near general fund state, plus opportunity pathways spending. And that's kind of a, a, a roll up of several budget accounts that the budget um, committees believe best represents what the state spends. So the NGFS plus budget, um, in his book one, he would increase spending by $3.9 billion over 2013-15. Meanwhile, the Book Two aspirational budget would increase spending by um, $5.2 billion over 2013-15. So there's a definite difference in the two proposals. Yeah, so we're talking about, to be clear, we're talking about roughly $1.7 billion in new spending right. on new things. So, right. Uh, and, and so uh, is, is the growth of revenues, uh, referring back to uh, uh, what Chris has blogged on and what uh, uh, is the growth in new revenues forecasted to be around 3.9 billion uh, just from existing taxation, or or is there any new taxation required just to to meet the obligation of balancing the the budget? Uh, well, the according to the November 2014 revenue forecast, the revenues available will be uh, 36 well 37 billion dollars, and then you have um, 600 billion million dollars that were in the um, as a beginning balance so they're pretty close pretty close okay yeah. well, well we'll we'll see i always <laughs> i always look at that first but what is probably more interesting uh, to our listeners uh, is some new ideas that have been floated out there that are connected to new spending so uh, tell us a little bit about that on the spending side the taxation side yeah. Uh, yes, the governor has proposed a capital gains tax, which would be very new for Washington. It would be seven um, percent. It would be a seven percent tax rate, and it would be levied on gains above twenty-five thousand for individual filers and fifty thousand for joint filers. Um, but it would exempt things like retirement accounts and farms and forestry. Um, and it would also exempt the gains from the sales of, of homes that are owned for 20 years. Or it would exempt, if you don't own your home for 20 years, then it would exempt the first $250,000 gained on the sale. 
So okay. there are um, exemptions there, but it would still it's still estimated to bring in about seven hundred ninety eight million dollars in the in fiscal year twenty seventeen. Okay, and, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But there, that is not the only new. Uh, no. tax that the governor's proposing. What else are we looking at? Well, he's also proposing a cap and trade program which under which greenhouse gas emitters would be required to buy allowances to emit um, carbon. And uh, the governor's office estimates that this would increase revenues by $947 million in 2017. And he proposes to use some of that for transit and transportation programs. In the operating budget, he would use $380 million to support basic education, and then um, $108 million for a working families tax rebate, and then various other millions for other, other projects. Okay, so, so we're talking about, uh, I, I was, I was going to ask you, but you're kind of answering it already. I was going to ask you what was notable about this budget over some of the other budgets that you've analyzed in years past, but I think right off the bat, we're looking at two very different types of mm -hmm. taxes that would be somewhat central to, yes. to his funding of these new yeah. aspirations that he yeah. has. Uh, Chris, uh, you, you do a lot of taxation work for the council. What do you think about uh, the ramifications of these two proposals? Well, first, I, I, I have, I've seen nothing indicate that the legislature would be willing to, to uh, uh, put forward either of these, implement either of these. Um, and in that sense, I think that the revenue portion of the governor's budget is really um, just a plug to allow him to, to, to uh, put out a budget that spends on programs that he would like to fund. Um, Cap and trade program really is part of is a, is the cap and trade program is really a, uh, a program aimed at uh, reducing the amount of carbon emission emitted in the state, uh, and the 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 primary purpose of the program is carbon reduct carbon emission reduction. Uh, it happens to bring along with it this uh, nice little revenue windfall, um, which is one of the reasons the, uh, the governor put it in. But given his priorities, I think that if he could, if, if um, uh, he would be proposing this cap and trade program, even if it didn't bring any more revenue in for the state. Um, the capital gains tax um, is uh, um, the first step towards an income tax in the state. Income taxes have been uh, found to be unconstitutional. Uh, by our state Supreme Court, a number of decisions uh, going back to 1932. Um, the, uh, uh, the, this, the governor's proposal is kind of written up describing the uh, tax, not as an income tax, but as an excise tax. Uh, but it's not clear whether that, even if passed, whether that uh, uh, fig leaf would, would uh, prevail. Sure, but it's true, isn't it? That I mean, it's the legislature that ultimately creates a budget and votes on that a budget that that is what we deal with. But so, what is a governor's budget? Let's get a little more abstract here. What is a governor's budget in, in the great scheme of things? I mean, where does it fit? I mean, he has this requirement to demonstrate that the books can be balanced. 
but it's actually the legislature that balances those books. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, yes. So the governor has usually has grand ideas about what kind of policies they want, and so they kind of make an opening bid with their budget, and then the House and the Senate and the legislature have to kind of come to an actual agreement with each other and through negotiation, and um, oftentimes the governor's proposal is, I mean, it's the basis for what they, they end up agreeing to in the end, but it certainly never ends up being enacted in totality or anything. Sure. So, so mechanically, um, the governor, um, so governor's budget is contained in a bill, a piece of legislation that is forwarded to the, to the legislature. It is, the, the, the budget bill itself is several hundred pages long with a great deal of detail. And the, legis and the legislators, when they write their own budgets, start with the governor's budget bill and modify it. Uh, and that actually gives the, 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 the governor a fair amount of power because the legislators have only a limited amount of time and there are only a few things that they can, or relatively few things they can actually modify, they will actually modify. Uh, they debate the big issues uh, but the governor may just, but by the way the process works, get his way on a bunch of the small things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sure. And, and often things, that they're, 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 as small things, are things that even escape us analysts as we're looking yes. at it. Because we tend to focus on the same parts of the budget that the legislators are focusing on. Mm -hmm. Well, particularly when uh, he's talking about two uh, completely new forms of revenue, it's pretty yeah. easy uh, for us and a lot of others, I would think, to be focusing on those larger issues. So, uh, Emily, uh, what else should we be looking at in terms of new revenue sources that the governor has listed in his budget? Um, those are the two main, the main ones. Uh, he would also increase the state cigarette tax by 50 cents a pack, and he would impose um, an excise tax on vapor products, including e-cigarettes. They'd be taxed at the same rate as other tobacco products are currently. Um, and then he would apply the sales tax to trade-in vehicles that are valued over $10,000. Require one, one actually interesting thing is he would require non-residents to apply for a sales tax refund rather than just automatically giving, say, Oregon residents an exemption from the state, Washington state uh, sales tax. That's something that's been proposed uh, several times recently, but it has never actually happened. But um, And he would apply the sales tax to bottled water, which the voters actually repealed it via initiative in 2010. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, but but it, it's not all uh, increases, is it? There there are some reductions in taxation in a few areas. Right. He would uh, first of all extend the high technology research and development tax credits that actually expired um, January first of this year, but he would limit them. Um, Chris, do you have anything to add? Yeah, it, it would limit the amount of credit that could be taken by any one firm. Uh, to $500,000, where the current limit is $2 million. Um, and then addition, the, there is the other um, research incentive out there, which is the uh, uh, sales and use tax deferral program for uh, R&D facilities. Um, and that, one, that program is currently, uh, as it existed prior to its 
uh, its exploration, was open-ended, and now they're limiting the amount of deferral to a million dollars per project and then per, per firm. Uh, a million dollars per year. Um, I would say on, on the um, on the um, the tax exemptions that are uh, that the governor proposes to uh, uh, to repeal the big one in dollar terms, and I also think the big one politically is the um, is the uh, exemption for uh, trade-ins. Uh, today, if you if you um, go to an automobile dealer, take your car, bring your old car in. Um, give the dealer your old car and, um, and then take a new car from him, writing a check to go along with, with the, uh, to help pay, uh, compensate the dealer for giving up that new car. You only pay sales tax on the value of the check you're writing. So you get an offset for the, um, for the, the used car. That, that exemption was put in by initiative, and if I remember correctly, that that initiative received over seventy percent on its mm -hmm. vote, much more than than a, than uh, than the the the, the margin that by which um, other tax reduction initiatives have passed over the years. I think there's something there where the uh, uh, the voters kind of felt, they looked at this and they said, you know, I paid sales tax on that car I'm getting to, I'm, gi I'm giving to you. I've already paid on that portion of what I'm paying for the car. You only ought to be taxing me for the increment above it and I'm putting it in cash. Well, well, well you're bringing up, uh, uh, you're kind of uh, backing into a larger issue, which I think is a important element to look at with this budget, which is the question of initiatives in particular and how much initiatives and courts are, are now driving budgets as opposed to le the legislature and the executive. But what we, we will get back to that in a moment. So, um, because we're gonna be talking about where the money, the spending, the new spending involved here. So, uh, so we've got uh, some new types of taxes uh, not small uh, changes to our economy potentially in terms of a cap-and-trade regime and uh, a capital gains tax uh, but we'll see what happens next we'll see how far that can go in the legislative process so Emily tell us about uh, the new spending a large portion of that would go to public schools of course the state Supreme Court's McCleary decision is dictating a lot of what will happen this session with um, increased funding for basic education being required. Um, as part of the McCleary decision, the legislature in 2010 had enacted a law that would increase spending for material supplies and operating costs, K-3 class size reduction, and full day kindergarten. And the governor's budget would fully fund um, the material supplies and operating costs portion of that on time this year as, as it's um, scheduled to be done. And then he would also fund the K-3 class size reduction and full day kindergarten a year early. So those would be fully funded in 2016-17 school year. Okay, not, not, uh, not an insignificant uh, initiative in that budget. 
No. Um, so uh, what about higher education and what about uh, the initiative that was just passed, 1351? How do those two so uh, 13, yeah, 1351 was passed by the voters in November. It would reduce class sizes for grades K through uh, 12. And governor is uh, proposing that we change the initiative in order to just to reflect um, the K-3 class size reductions that he's already proposing to fund. So that would require two-thirds of the legislature because you're changing an, an initiative. Otherwise, it, uh, the 1351 initiative would cost about $2 billion for the biennium, it's estimated. So I think everyone in the legislature agrees that it's pretty impossible to fund this initiative, but how they actually end up going about it will be an interesting interesting to see. So higher education, uh, anybody that has children uh, who have gone to college in this state in the last few years have uh, uh, quickly realized that tuitions have skyrocketed and, uh, and budgets are still very lean uh, op operationally in, in a lot of these institutions. So wh where are we at at this point in terms of new spending or the spending levels for higher ed? Uh, the governor would increase spending for higher ed. Um, it, he'd provide $100 million for the Opportunity Scholarship, which is a public-private partnership that provides scholarships um, for students in the science, technology, engineering, and math fields. And he would also increase spending for the um, for state need grant and the College Bound Scholarship. Uh, and then he would freeze tuition, which is the big thing, I think, in this. Um, it was frozen last biennium also, or last year of the biennium. Um, but he would freeze it this time around and um, institutions would not be allowed to increase tuition in the future or make their own decisions about increasing tuition. So we've been talking a little bit about initiatives and court cases. Um, how about in the area of mental health where there was a court decision? Uh, well, the big one was that the court said that the state can no longer use just regular hospitals to house um, patients with uh, mental issues. And so that requires um, about uh, $25 million to increase um, boarding at um, inappropriate mental health Area, okay. areas rather than general hospitals. And, and I'm noting that uh, uh, in the area of Medicaid that an $80 million increase is also in the budget uh, principally for new treatments for hepatitis C. Uh, yes, $90 million actually. 90, excuse me. Uh, even worse. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's a new treatment for hepatitis C which apparently is much better than what has been used in the past but it's also much more expensive up front. Uh, hope, I think the idea is hopefully it will reduce the long-term health costs of people with hepatitis C, but there is a big upfront cost with mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. and so the governor would fund that. And there are a lot of people in the pipeline right now who have hepatitis. Uh, yeah. So going forward, the bright side is that uh, once you get through that backlog, the, the number of patients you'll be treating each year will be yeah. uh, uh, quite a bit lower, and then the ongoing uh, care of cost of ongoing care costs for hepatitis patients will be lower. Right. Uh, one other item, Emily, that you should uh, 
tell us a little bit more about is uh, raises for state workers. How yes. does that impact this budget? The governor's office negotiated um, with the state unions through collective bargaining, and they um, agreed to a 3% salary increase in 2016 and a 1.8% increase in 2017. Um, those would increase state spending by $332 million. And then it would also be extended to non-represented employees for another $149 million. Um, additionally, for teachers, the proposal does fund Initiative 732, which was the cost of living adjustment that was passed by voters back in 2000, I think. And um, it also provides the 3% and 1.8% raises for teachers, um, increasing the budget by $150 million. So that is a significant increase. I mean, that's around 500 million for all of those, which is getting on par with the uh, the uh, funding the McCleary decision, which is the biggest big, biggest ticket item of these increases. I don't know that it quite gets to McCleary, but it is definitely very big. And the legislature has no, I mean, they can only vote up or down on the collective bargaining, uh, collective bargaining agreements. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's either yes or no, and um, yeah, we'll see what they do. I'm sure it, usually it's a yes, it seems. <laughs> and state workers haven't had a raise in quite some time due to the recession. So it's. So in, in uh, funding, in explaining how uh, the, in the, the governor's explanation of how he would fund all these, these new programs gets into not just new revenues, but he does some other things as well that has gotten the attention of our state treasurer. You yes. want to talk about that for a second? Yes, he would use $475 million from the budget stabilization account, which is the rainy day fund. And um, the state treasurer has said, has said that he he would not take such a large amount out of the, the rainy day fund because it could impact our bond rating and how we look to investors, and um, so we'll see how that go how that goes. The, it requires a three fifths vote of the legislature to take out money out when it's a when it's a um, not when the when it, economic times are fine like they are you know kind of now. So whether or not that happens remains to be seen as well. Yeah, I was a bit surprised that the governor did this. Uh, you know, I thought that if he was going to be laying out kind of the, the full responsible budget, which is usually what the governor does, um, he would have found enough revenue to, to say that he was funding that. You know? Eventually, I, I think most people think that the, uh, that the legislature, under the spending pressures they have, will dip into those funds and write a, uh, and, and carry a relatively thin reserve. Uh, into the uh, into the following biennium, uh, but you know that's the sort of thing that happens at the last minute in order to make a deal work. You don't put that in in the very beginning. Sure, absolutely. So the the Senate has already uh, ma made a move in terms of voting uh, to require a two thirds majority for new taxes. Is that is that correct? It's my understanding that they would require the two-thirds vote just to bring a new tax to the floor. So it wouldn't actually require a two-thirds vote to actually vote for the tax itself once it's there. Um, so it's very procedural and inside baseball, but um, it might hang up 
the new taxes. Sure, sure. Uh, so what's next in this process? The, the, the ball is now in the, the court of the, of the legislature. legislature. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we'll be hearing from them fairly soon, I suppose. Well, you'll, they will be kind of messing around for a couple of months. Uh, every, everything really, the, the, the serious lifting on the budget uh, begins after the March revenue forecast, when the, um, the, the legislators, budget writers now have the final revenue numbers they need mm -hmm. uh, for the, the budget. Um, there'll be some sort of hearings about, a very, about various aspects. I'm sure there'll be a lot of talk about the capital gains and the cap and trade over this, over this period. Uh, but the actual budget writing comes, comes out to, doesn't, doesn't start in earnest until after the revenue forecast comes up. Uh, and then the other, the issue is whether they will write a, uh, write a budget, get a, uh, agree to a budget before the scheduled uh, end of the uh, regular session in April. Um, given the difficulties they've had in the past uh, and the si large size of the gap, if you take the, uh, um, the McCleary decision and, uh, and 1351 as being absolutely necessary to fund, um, is, uh, is so large that they probably will not um, reach a decision until June, maybe late June. Um, you know, you've got when you have legislators who have constituents who are screaming about the, at them about you know wanting this spending and and then also about not wanting to see any taxes. It's very hard um, to pass a budget uh, well before the end of the of the of the time horizon available to you, because you just look like you, you, your constituents will say you could have fought harder. Uh, you need to be up against that hard and fast deadline in order to to make the hard decisions. That's where the deals are usually made, so, okay. Well, thank you both. This has been very enlightening, and uh, we'll stay tuned to see what happens next. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.